This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. The IEDC has prioritized global engagement and catapulting the state of Indiana onto the world stage. They hope to engage in critical conversations on sustainability, the energy transition, supply chain resilience, and advanced manufacturing, among many other topics. The 2022 Indiana Global Economic Summit has been the state's largest effort to engage in international discussion against a backdrop of trips, roundtables, agreements with other governments, and programming that take Indiana to the world and bring the world to Indiana. For today's podcast, I'm going to be in conversation with Andrea Richter-Gary, who, after serving in the White House and the U.S. State Department, now serves as Senior Vice President of Global Strategy and Engagement at the IEDC and supports international and federal efforts. So, Andrea, after all of that, thank you for being with me today and sharing what I'm sure is probably many people are aware of the efforts but probably don't know the extent, the degree, sort of really the the depth of what all you have been doing. So I appreciate you taking time to talk to me about that. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here. And like you said, I'm just excited to share a lot of that work that we're doing and how it's going to touch the lives of, of Hoosiers here in Indiana. Good, thanks. I appreciate that. So let's start then by explaining what your role in the roles, I guess there's probably multiple roles, but the roles that you've held at IADC and then you know how that's playing out today. No, thank you. Um, I started at IADC in, in 2017. As you mentioned in my background, I moved here from Washington, D.C. I'm a Midwest girl at heart. I grew up in Minnesota, um, but found my way in, in D.C., but then was able to uh, move back here to the Midwest uh, with my husband and really start to raise our family. So I was looking for a job that would really have that intersection of international engagement, but in a way that would grow the community that we're choosing to live in. So IADC at that time was really starting to springboard into a larger international presence. We already had a handful of international offices, but we had leadership and a governor of the state who wanted to make sure that we were reaching beyond our borders to find new business deals, new academic partnerships, new technology to make sure that Indiana was not just growing at the pace of the globe, but surpassing it. So I started as a senior advisor here. I'm starting to kind of craft and and shape what that international program would be. So where are we going on trips? What are the priority industries? Where should we have new international offices located around the world and then help grow the team. How do we have the right personnel here and how does it work with our business development team? How does it work with our innovation team to make sure that we're accomplishing those goals? So then over the last few years, I've served as a kind of the head of our international engagement. So that was really where we were able to build relationships with not just foreign companies, but also foreign governments. We felt that that was a really strong entry point into a lot of these companies to have that government to government framework. And that is how we could bring kind of legitimacy as well as new businesses to the table. And then in my current role, which I started um, about six months ago, I still lead on many of our foreign government trips and travel, but also cover federal engagement, energy, trade, and defense. And each of those have international components. So never a dull moment here at the international team at IADC. I mean, that's really fairly broad. I mean, that's a very broad portfolio. And I don't think that probably as many people know I mean when you're talking about defense you know that we do have a strong footprint in that 
uh, area. So, so I know we'll get to that, that mm -hmm. there's international and then there's also how you interface then with the federal government. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, maybe, so, you know, brag a little bit on, you know, <laughs> where are, what are some of the countries that you've been engaging with? Because I'm not sure everybody is aware of, you know, all of those countries that we're talking to. Sure. Well, I think some of the, the strategy right now is how do we find countries and partnerships that are really forward-looking like us. So when we look at EV technology, we look at semiconductors, we look at not just the energy transition from generation standpoint, but actually building the energy transition. Mm -hmm. Who's making the mm -hmm. turbines? Who's making the cells? That has really helped us prioritize certain areas around the world, as well as certain kind of, you know, partnerships. So, you know, of course, Asia, we have a very strong presence already. Our history with Japan, over 320, you know, companies, I know most of your listeners know how strong that is. So it's how do we take a traditional relationship like that, but also get on the next wave with, you know, those OEMs EV technology. So we're doubling down on some of our traditional partners. We were just in France with the governor last week. Again, we talked a lot about the energy transition, egg bioscience. Uh, the French have a strong agricultural history as well, but what is that next generation? And of course, other partners like Germany, UK, you know, just across Western Europe. But I think is what is unique is these new industries are also making sure we're taking a more geographically diverse approach. So you look at places like Singapore, which are really leading the way in, in egg bioscience science of some of the technology that's coming out of there. I mean, they've had to create large agricultural gains on a very small piece of land, right? Um, South America, again, you know, countries that are, are, are leading in some of these spaces. You know, Korea is a huge country that's a priority for us. So I have kind of another half of our team focuses specifically on FDI are, are, are really excited about what Korea has to offer given the recent deal between Solantis and Samsung. So how do we build better partnerships with Korea? So it's, it's the old and it's the new and how do we blend that based on an industry strategy? Well, and I think the, the main takeaway from that that I heard is that it's really focusing on the technologies, it's really focusing on sort of the industry connections and then pursuing that in the countries where there are some, some assets and some resources that then help us leverage things that we're doing here. So it's, it's, really, it's really industry focused, cluster focused, and then following that wherever that takes us around the world. You're, is that you're, right? you're spot on, Lee. It, it's kind of a matrix when you think of it, right? It's like, okay, what is is this country's mm -hmm. investment into the U.S. strong? Is it a technology you know, approach that would add value to the state? Is it an industry that we're strong in? Check, check, check. I think we need to start mm -hmm. exploring this. And mm -hmm. then, of course, you know, it's not just sending the governor over the first wave. It's how do we, you know, as an IADC, start to build bridges. You know, we have three different office representatives in Europe. How do they start to lay the groundwork? And then maybe how do we send a delegation? And then maybe the Secretary of Commerce, you know, works on his level. And that all really culminates into these governor-led delegation trips that you see in the news. But those don't just happen overnight. Mm -hmm. It's it's years, months and years of leading up to that point to make sure there's, there's actually value in, in, you know, getting on that plane and going over there. Well, so then I guess that though that's probably where your experience in the White House, um, I mean, in, you know, again, all of those overnight deals actually, I'm sure, take, take years or months. Mm -hmm. And all of that preparation is all the stuff that people don't really see uh, that has to go into, again, sort of that moment where you can make that announcement. But I would guess, though, that a lot of that preparation is all things that were very much part of what you were doing at the White House and that makes you valuable here. 
No, most definitely. I It was an incredible experience to, to serve our country in that way and to get to in, engage with diplomats around the world. But it definitely makes you very sensitive to you know cross-cultural communication, to protocol. How are you addressing a head of state? How are you, you know, working with them to make sure that you can understand each other to get to that outcome? So, you know, between my background, we have another colleague on the team, Julian Turner, who worked at the State Department as well. So she has a very strong background. So I like to think that Indiana is a bit unique mm-hmm. in some of the, the personnel we have doing that. But it's it's exciting because I think it's not just the content of these trips. Of course, we have business goals, but sometimes it's the image that we want Indiana to be projected as, right? It's how do we have the marketing materials that show innovation? How do we have the right delegation make of experts and IADC leadership to show that this is important? It's that full package that we're putting our best foot forward to make that impression and really draw these companies here. I mean, you know, it, it's it's humbling that, you know, sometimes you go around the world and people might not know where Indiana is. You know, is it by Chicago? Is it in the U.S.? I've, I've actually had that asked yes. to me before. Yes. So, we're trying to fill that void with the dynamic, innovative place it is, and every little detail down to the gifts that we give, the business cards that we have, hmm. the speeches that our governors give, that is our chance to take that message to the world. Okay. So as I was preparing for this, then the term subnational diplomacy came up. So, so what does that mean? <laughs> no, it is quite the trendy word. You hear it in you know, the, the circles of DC and, and other places, but it's becoming much more common. It's the idea that you know, when you hear on the news or you hear about the White House, or the State Department you know, creating foreign policy, that, that is their jurisdiction. But there's now a recognition that states and cities and regions, they are actually the drivers of a lot of these economic boons a lot of these international relationships so states talking to each other cities connecting that's what's getting business done in a way that the federal government can't make that happen Mm -hmm. on the ground so there's a lot of focus on well okay people are getting outside of the coast they're getting into the heart of america where things are being made and things are being grown and the power that these states have is incredibly important in, in making those connections abroad so what that means in practical terms is we may find a state in another country that has similar industry. So Pays de la Loire, that's the, the state in France that we were just in a few days ago. Mobility, electric vehicles, hydrogen. I mean, you could look at their economic planning and you could almost replace the word with Indiana. We've sought them out. So now how do we have specific delegations of their businesses meeting with us? That is truly subnational diplomacy on the ground is bringing together those people who are going to make the partnerships, the JVs, the you know research and development exchanges. And then how do we as a state put the right money and resources and time you know, to make them productive? I'm sure to many folks, many Hoosiers, you know, that seems somewhat esoteric sure sure you know and very far away that when you're talking about even states or cities in other countries that seems very far away and so how do we measure that impact of what you're doing on sort of the if there is such a thing the average or the typical Hoosier why why should they care I'm I'm so glad you asked that Lee and and I think that's something that I hope the IADC are, are, are making that connection right so you know, maybe here's a here's a good example. So, you know, in a day or two, I'm going to be down in Mitchell, Indiana, at a place called Heidelberg Materials for their grand opening of a, a new, you know, cutting edge um, cement facility. Now, we first met them at 
COP27, which is this UN climate conference in Egypt, and you go, what do we have to do with that, right? But that conversation with their CEO saying, okay, how do we specifically look at Mitchell, Indiana, and make this an opportunity for growth? So what that means is you have the you know, top 30,000 foot global connection. You then say, okay, well, to grow this facility because they have unique geology underneath for their carbon capture, one, let's partner with Department of Energy. They have grants and money that are going to help do this piece of it. The next layer is how do we as a state and community say, this is a project we want to invest in? Is there IADC incentives? Is there IADC partnerships? Is there help with permitting? How do we move this forward? All of this is going to make that facility not only be a leader and make sure that it's going to be here for 10, 20, 30, 40 years because it's cutting edge, it's going to create those jobs. So if you're living in Mitchell, Indiana, you can go, I'm getting to see this high level new carbon capture technology translate into more jobs in my community, more high paying jobs. You know, a, a actual community and corporate partner who wants to invest in not just the 10 or 20 mile radius, but the 40, 50, 60 mile radius that their workforce is coming from. How do they partner with the schools? So I think it's all getting back to your question, it's, it's improving the quality of life, not somewhere across the end of the globe, but right in our backyard and making sure that our children have access to jobs that are interesting, that are going to be here in 40 years, that pay, you know, enough to support a great family. And, and that matters. That's, that's why, you know, people want to live in places like that. So. So, and you talked about the, you know, the uh, Stellantis and Samsung partnership. Mm -hmm. And so we did a podcast with uh, the folks in Kokomo talking about right. how they're preparing for the Korea nationals that will mm -hmm. be coming into the community. And it was just, a, it was a very, first of all, it was a very entertaining and a very enlightening discussion, but it was really endemic, I think, to that whole notion of you know, we are opening Indiana to the world and the world is coming here and it enhances all of us by having sort of those experiences and being able to interact mm -hmm. at levels that perhaps we've never done before and experiencing not only technology, but technologies, but cultures yeah. that we haven't really had a chance to interact with prior to this. That's exactly right. I think that's such a good example to show how, you know, opening our doors, our communities, it benefits everyone, right? That that's going to make that community stronger. And also just, you know, making sure that that Hoosier hospitality, that mm -hmm. that's there, that, that's what we pride ourselves on. And that's, you know, an important feature of welcoming that. I mean, to have, you know, over 1,070 businesses that are, you know, foreign owned or foreign headquartered in our state, I mean, that's enormous. That's, that's a huge economic impact. And it's not just, you know, if you look on our FDI map, I know this is a podcast, so I'm you know, holding up my visible map. It's not, it's not just in Indianapolis. It's not just in South Bend. It's not just in Evansville. It's, it's literally every single county is touched by that. And you can see a little international country flag doing that. So I think that's important to note. It's, it's not just one part of the state that is benefiting from this type of investment in trade. But I think you also, though, you referenced the fact that not a lot of entities outside of the mm -hmm. country know where Indiana is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, it's not probably, you know, top of mind for many people outside of the country. And so, and you also talked about the technologies that we mm -hmm. have here. So, you know, what is it, what are the selling points of Indiana when you are talking to 
people in a country that have yeah. no knowledge of Indiana, yeah. what is it you tell them that are really sort of the, the, the leading points sure. that make Indiana attractive or should make Indiana attractive to them? No, that, that's a great question. I mean, I think we always pride ourselves on just the environment that we've created, especially as it pertains to business, right? So it's a place where there's, there's low taxes, there's low regulation, it's centrally located. So when people think of how vast the United States is, I think that's always one impression, you know, of just how big our country is. The idea that we're in the heart of it so that you can get your people, your services, your goods, anywhere easily, that's always incredibly appealing, right? So I think that's kind of the first step, is just we have this foundational good place to do business, and you know, here's a list of rankings of other mm -hmm. newspapers and outlets saying that, you don't have to just believe us. But then I think the second thing that is, is very appealing is just this kind of one team Indiana mentality. So it's not just the state, it's not just you know the businesses, it's it's maybe universities they've heard of. Sometimes they might not know where Indiana is, but they, they sure do know where Notre Dame is. They've heard of Purdue University. They had a cousin that went to Indiana University. So it's it's showing that we also are at top of the, the line for research, right? Or maybe it's a company name. So maybe, you know, again, they don't know where we are, but they have a, you know, they know where Eli Lilly is because it has a huge French presence, or if they're in the Brazil, they've definitely heard of Corteva because it's one of the largest multinational companies there. So it's how do we find the right kind of ambassadors of our state that rings a bell and they go, well, of course we know where that is. So I think that's kind of the, the next step. And then I think the third icing on the cake is when we articulate our vision um, and that we actually have the tools to make that vision happen. We're in such a good fiscal place, we can invest money in quality of place. We can invest money in an innovation and that when we say we're building the economy of 20 years in microelectronics and electric vehicles and energy transition, we actually are, are doing the work. Um, and I think that holistic combination, people are pretty blown away with. And we've found that when we can get people to come and visit and hear that story, our success rate in having those companies you know, commit some sort of presence here is just is off the charts. A number of years ago, I did a motorsport study. I know it was updated the last couple of years through IEDC. And we're always fascinated people don't necessarily always think of motorsports as being such a technology-based, mm -hmm. but it is. And Indiana, I think, is still probably the third most concentrated uh, state in terms of motorsports and technology. But what we always heard was, yes, people know the Indianapolis 500, but they don't know Indianapolis is in Indiana. And so, you know, we have almost this, yeah. this international brand but people don't associate that brand always with, you know, Indiana. And, and I think that's frustrating. No, you know, I'm smiling. Um, when we were in Pays de Lourdes, in Le Mans for the 24 hour of Le Mans race, that was kind of the capstone of our, our trip to, again, meet with motorsports companies, just like you alluded to. My team and I, I think we're going to try to go, you know, we went to try to buy a T-shirt or something like that. And the, the French gentleman asked us, like, you know, where we're from. And we actually said, like, Indiana, Indianapolis. And he goes, oh, but he was joking. He goes, oh, you hate racing there. And then laughed because he knew right. like how big that was. But it made us smile because we're like, wow, here's someone across the world that knows that it's synonymous with racing. So I think, you know, part of our focus on having, you know, going to a race, it's not just because we enjoy car racing and wanted to see a race in France. It was to, to make that exact connection mm -hmm. that you just said. This is a billion dollar industry mm -hmm. for our state. 
and, and we need to start making that a little bit more present. So it's not just the companies that are coming to those races, but there is a state of Indiana that is present and ready to do business, you know, when we're, we're at this high level. Just to segue a little bit, you know, we talked at the beginning about how defense is, the defense team is part of my portfolio here. The intersection between defense and between, you know, motorsports is incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. I could go on with the fascinating things companies like Delara are doing, but just these lightweight materials and the applications it has for defense, for space for for all of that is is so phenomenal so i think you know if we invest in that it's going to pay dividends to many other sectors in our state as well well and 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 oftentimes people think of and and we can get off this but they think of motorsports they in indiana we think of motorsports as being indianapolis and yet when we did our motorsports study we found that motorsports touches all 92 counties Mm -hmm. in one way or another whether it's whether it's the racetracks that are there, the small racetracks, or it's suppliers of people who are providing, mm-hmm. you know, materials or providing technology to the race teams. We were able to link that motorsports sort yeah. of chain to all 92 two counties, and so it really is, it really is an Indiana industry, even though we associate it with predominantly one place. Yeah. But anyway, so I know that prior to the pandemic, there w- there was a plan for the uh, Indiana Global <laughs> Economic Summit, and like so many things, it got sidetracked because of the pandemic, but you were finally able to hold the Indiana Global Economic Summit in 2022. Mm-hmm. So what was the value or what was the, uh, the impetus behind that? No, thanks, thanks for mentioning that. And yes, it was a little heartbreaking to think three or four weeks out in 2020 to have to, you know, put the brakes on that. But in a way, now that we can look at it and kind of, you know, retrospect, it was almost for the best. That was such a time of change where so many norms got thrown on their heads, you know, during COVID that I think the summit became even more relevant. And it was actually one of the the largest gatherings kind of post-COVID, not just for the state, but for many of our international partners. That was the first time that they were getting on a plane again to come. So we actually felt like we were kind of a first mover mm-hmm. in bringing back these in-person safe but in-person discussions. So I think you know what we had really hoped to get out of the the global summit was to have conversations on a lot of the topics we've talked about today. Not just like what's happening now, but how do we look ahead to 10 or 15 years and and make sure that the the actions we're taking now are building that economy of the future. So how is AI impacting manufacturing? How is sustainability gonna change the future of motorsports? What are all these, trend is almost too light of a word, but really, you know, revolutionary changes, how is that gonna be tied to what we talked about earlier, communities? factories, steel plants, you know, things that are here building our economy in Indiana. So we, we, we really had kind of the, the best and brightest thought leaders come from across the world. We had 30 different countries come at ambassador and minister levels. We had CEOs from, you know, Rolls-Royce and Elenco. We had, you know, Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, come and give a keynote. So people who, who really you know, have the expertise to tell us kind of where this is going. But what was important to us was not just to talk about it, but to then translate that into some action. So we tried to, to t- 
take what was said and really put that into a strategy for this year to what I was talking about, to countries we target it, follow up we have. We've had, you know, a handful of deals, prospective, you know, deals come from this. We had our first MOU, which is Memorandum of Understanding with the government of the UK. We were the first state in the country to do that. And, you know, my, my team members since then have led trips to the UK focused on women um, empowerment and economic development. We're, you know, we'll have an upcoming one on energy and mobility, things that are actually tangible. So again, it was how do we do kind of the discussion that sometimes we hear about happening in other parts of the world, you know, in Switzerland, on the coasts, in New York, but here in the center of the country, because we're actually making the things, we're growing the things, we're, we're living these changes. So. I'm really excited. You know, maybe a quick preview for just your podcast viewers, Lee. It's, it's not a public yet, but we are we are doing it again in 2024. So we will have an announcement with the exact dates, but it should be another great um, few days of, of that type of um, connection and discussion. So how unusual is that a state is unusual. having that, <laughs> that global economic Un- summit? Unusual. I think that is also what drove us to do that in some ways. We, we want to stand out. I mean, a lot of states have trade conferences or they have foreign delegations. I don't want to sound like we're the only state that's you know doing kind of that. But to, to make it be more not just about a, a transaction or a business deal, but to have these larger thoughts about where the economy is going, I mean, it's truly one of a kind. So, and I, and I can say that coming from a background in DC and, and kind of being at some of these international events across the world, that was that was part of the the thrust to do it mm-hmm. and really set ourselves apart. And the feedback we've had from the diplomatic community was phenomenal. I mean, just the fact that over 30 countries came and that was the first iteration, so. That know. seems fascinating though. I mean, to me though, it still seems fascinating that you're talking about having diplomats. Yes. Um, you know, which to me seems that that's more of a a federal footprint yeah. than a state footprint. So it seems to me that it is unique for it, us. It, it is. No, I'm, I'm so glad that that is coming through. The fact that we are proactively yeah. establishing these relationships directly with these you know, foreign governments, of course, very respectful of our federal government partners and in line with, you know, national interests and things like that. But we found that those direct conversations is really how we have Indiana stand out. And I think foreign entities look at a place like Indiana where where, where we have major businesses like Lilly and Rolls-Royce and Barry and, you know, Cummins, those are places that are affecting their countries too because they have a presence there. So there's a self-interest in that as well to make sure that they're talking directly with the state and the people that are you know, fostering that type of business relationship. So this is maybe off track just a little bit. So you're thinking globally and you, you, know, you have this background of working with different diplomats and working at, you know, in different countries. How do the, the local communities, so we talked about you know, what Kokomo is doing mm-hmm. to prepare itself mm-hmm. for the Korean nationals that yeah. may be coming there. What should local communities, especially you know, if there is near to them or if there is within their vicinity, you know, a company that is headquartered elsewhere and has that footprint, how do they prepare themselves for, for that opportunity so that 
they are more of a welcoming community because I think that's that may be sort of outside the experience yeah. of a lot of these communities. You know, that's such a great question because I think at its core, you know, our Hoosier hospitality is a fantastic starting place. People want to welcome people to their communities. They want to grow together. So just that attitude and that mentality, I think is the first step and I think that's already there. But I would say, you know, we have some great resources across the state, whether it's the International Center of Indiana, whether it's the IADC, you know, we work with our local and regional partners all the time, whether it is, you know, there's something called a consulate, which is the not an embassy, but the Midwest representation of a foreign government. They love coming to localities and, and meeting with people and, and kind of, you know, sharing more about the cultural and, and business etiquette as well as the opportunities. So lean on those partners, ask questions. You know, there are more formal um, protocol trainings and things like that, you know, should that be appropriate. And then, you know, the internet's a great place too, just to, to do some research and say, how can I learn about some customs or how is there maybe, you know, grocery stores or foods or religious, you know, places to practice or community schools that, that may want to think about expanding some of their offerings that could make people feel more at home. Because I think in the reverse side, these corporations that are coming here, they also want to be community partners too, right? They want to work with the local schools. They want to meet members of the community. They, they want to have a good quality of life. So I think, um, you know, where there's a will, there's, there's definitely mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. No, thank you. That helps. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think that's something that we hopefully have communities thinking about and being thoughtful mm -hmm. as as part of their you know their yeah. welcoming attitude yeah. so if we can shift gears just a little bit and sure. maybe talk about uh, sort of the uh, another aspect of your position mm -hmm. here and that's sort of the interface then with the federal government okay. you know we've talked a little bit about how interacting with diplomats is typically part of I mean we think of that as being more of the federal government mm -hmm. but there's also that level at which federal government is is a contractor federal government is you know doing lots of different things and so what how there's a part of then your job that is sure. part of that interface what does that look like no, I think we always aim, you know, at the IDC to have a very productive and pragmatic relationship with the federal government. Of course, we rely heavily on our congressional delegation. We work very closely with the governor's federal team um, to make sure we're aligned. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest focus right now is how do we make sure Indiana, the environment of the state, and that the IDC can be a good partner with businesses to be competitive for a lot of the federal funding, the opportunities, the grants, almost unprecedented of, of what's possible in the next 12 months or so, to make sure that those investments are hitting Indiana communities and Indiana businesses. So a lot of my my job is, is not always kind of a a direct, you know, ask of the federal government or, or doing that. It, it's 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 a couple different pieces. One is how do we, when a company comes to us in, you know, maybe in energy or in microelectronics, and they see something like the Inflation Reduction Act, which is, you know, putting a lot of money towards the green economy, or the CHIPS Act, right, which will be mm -hmm. really investing in, in national security priorities to make us a more resilient country and, you know, um, with CHIPS. You know, we as a state are not asking for that money directly. It, it's these companies that are doing it. So how do we make sure they have the appropriate level of support? So the federal government sees 
oh, the state of Indiana is behind this. They're investing equally in these industries as well. They're putting the money into workforce. That's going to make that application more competitive. You know, the federal government is really prioritizing collaboration. So how are we especially in energy, how are we working with states across our borders to have a more regional approach? So part of my job um, and working with our other stakeholders is how do we have good relationships with Illinois or Michigan or some other ones who maybe go in together. I think there's been a lot in the news about a hydrogen hub effort that we're pursuing right now. That's going to have an impact for the entire hydrogen infrastructure of the Midwest and how can we have a more compelling application you know by partnering together and then of course it is as a state looking at some of the federal opportunities that do go directly to state economic development authorities whether it's you know manufacturing or training or different grants like that and say these fit with our strategic priorities as a state so this is where I think we should put our focus and going after that so it's really these different ideas of how we use the federal apparatus to push forward the industries that we think are important. And yeah, there's just a, it changes every day where there's a lot of guidance, there's a lot of jargon to go through. What's a NOFO? What's a, you know, all these things that I think, you know, can make my head spin. And I worked in federal government for many years. So I think as a state and what I would want to impress to the IDA is we're also here as a resource. We, we want to partner with our regions and localities to help navigate some of these really dense pieces of legislation to make sure we're all swimming in the same direction. So you mentioned the CHIPS Act, mm -hmm. and um, I think Indiana has, I think, and this is because of Crane, mm -hmm. has really sort of a leg up in terms of chip manufacturing. Do we, are we able to then leverage that? Yes. I mean, I'm, you know, knocking on wood and crossing my fingers and don't want to, you know, um, um, you know, sway kind of any decisions, but but yes, I think we feel very bullish on the position that we've put the state. When you look at, like you said, our our, our military installations, if you look at the universities, if you, if you look at what's happening at IU, at Purdue, in the field of microelectronics, I mean, it's it's cutting edge, right? So you, so you have that community as well. You already have, you know, some great companies like Skywater or the Westgate facility that's happening mm -hmm. in the southern part of mm -hmm. our state. So the foundation, I can't even call it a foundation because it's progressed beyond that. We have all the right pieces to really be, I think, and I use this term loosely, but one of the winners from, mm -hmm. from that legislation. I mean, even on the political side, we have you know Senator Young who took a real big leadership right. role in, in putting that legislation together and recognizing the national security and economic importance of that. So, I'm I'm, I'm positive that I that we will be having you know some productive developments in in that area. So, kind of wrapping up, you know, what haven't we talked about that you want to cover? What have we left untouched here? That, I'm so glad you asked that. One thing I want to mention is trade. And I think for those uh, you know, listening who have been acquainted with the IDC for a while, um, when we were a Department of Commerce, we had a pretty robust trade office. So this was to help facilitate mm -hmm. Indiana companies getting their goods and services abroad. With the organization and kind of restructuring into the IADC, a lot of those elements went away. And not that trade didn't happen in our state. I mean. We are a state that have seen our trade numbers, you know, really, really grow, especially in agriculture and, and manufacturing and life sciences in the last few years. But there was a, a thought a few years ago that we were able to discuss with our leadership of how does the state take a more proactive and strategic role in the same way we talked about for selecting industries, the same way for trade. So how do we make sure that it's not just about investment into our state, but getting Indiana goods across the globe? So we have a program called InStep. It was our first trade program in many, many years. 
I'm thrilled to say last year we had a 23 to one return of investment. So for every dollar the state helped Indiana small and medium business get their goods abroad, 23 to one they made in profit to that. That's incredible. So we really saw the proof of concept. We're growing that program. We will continue to have in-step. You know, we hope that we can grow our, our trade footprint as well, but that will just be another set of tools and resources for small businesses and individuals across the state that the IADC can help connect them globally. So, you know, looping back, Lee, the point at the end of why should people care? Well, you know, if you're making a widget or a sugar cream pie or, you know, a, a, a jar of peanut butter and you think there's a market for that between e-commerce, between trade delegations, between all that, we can get that. There, there is a market for that and it can go just beyond the county or the state that they're there and that's going to also invest in our economy so really hope that you know folks are interested and would love to follow up on the trade side as well okay so how how at this point yep so you said it was a pilot yep. or a had so yep. you're expanding it it just means there'll be a, a bigger knock on wood pot of money that can go towards small businesses. Okay. So we have um, on our website, you can you know, look at InStep. We have a manager, Roger Howard and the team. I can connect folks there. But you submit an application. Um, small businesses can have up to $15,000. That could pay for, you know, ticket to um, Germany to be at, you know, one of the large um, trade shows there. It could pay to have your entire website translated into Mandarin because you want to appeal to, you know, a new market. What Whatever it can be used for within our um, statutes, you get to decide what's best for your business, and then we help track you and see that through the end. And you can do this on a yearly basis. So if you applied for a grant last year and it was successful, and you've been able to demonstrate that, come back, come back this year. We want to help you continue to grow. And we see some of our investors here in the state too also taking of that. So it's not like at IDC if well. I get to have this incentive, so now I can't use this. No, you, you, you can right. have the, the full range of tools. So a lot of our investment companies also take advantage of that and vice versa. A lot of our in-step companies were able to be so successful, they grew and are now applying to IADC for additional incentives because okay. they've had to hire workers mm -hmm. and grow their business. So it's, it's a great problem to have. I think, however, that that notion of international trade mm -hmm. can be intimidating to uh, to a lot of small and mid-sized companies I think they're they're afraid of all of the things that they don't yep. know that can trip them up in the process yep. we know how to sell you know to the to the next yeah. state or to the next you know county but we don't know how to sell across yeah. the world exactly and you know you might say online oh I heard that you know India really is in need of this you know product I make but then at the same time, you know, we might have an export counselor who sits down with you and goes, you're right, there is a huge demand for that product. But by the time you pay for duties and transportation to get it there, actually Mexico is going to be your best mark because this is the margin you can do it. And that's the type of expertise that I think gives the business a confidence of like, oh, okay, I have a plan. I'm not just kind of stepping out to do this myself. The state has given me some of the guidance and some of the money to de-risk you know okay. what that initial step can be right. so I'm, I'm excited about what the trade side of things will bring as well okay so maybe as that program grows we can come back and we can talk about that I would well. absolutely love to right. thank you Lee. all right so today I've been talking to Andrea Richter Gary who is the senior vice president of global strategy and engagement at IEDC Andrea thank you so much for your time and thanks for everything you're doing for the state of Indiana we appreciate it 
Thank you. It was a true pleasure, and I'm just so happy to be a Hoosier and to make this my home and, and hopefully make it you know just a little bit better for my kids and, and all those others in the community. So thank you. All right. Thank you very much. You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content on this podcast is copyright 2023 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to this content. And by the way, the theme music was composed and performed by me, Lee Llewellyn. Thanks. Thanks.